Welcome to Sourcing Journal Radio, our weekly check-in with apparel insiders and thought leaders, which spotlights a variety of topics currently driving change in the market. This podcast episode is made possible by TexWorld USA, an international trade show featuring a wide range of fabrics, trims, accessories, and resources for the fashion industry. The next edition will be held at the Javits Convention Center in New York on January 19th through the 21st in 2020. Register today at texworldusa.com. For the past year, the apparel and footwear industries have been on edge as tranche after tranche of tariffs have been placed on goods coming out of China. And while our industries had largely been spared, consumers are likely to feel the full brunt of the impact, starting with spring 20 goods. In response to the uncertainty and the hit to the bottom line, brands and retailers have been searching for production alternatives around the globe. And while many are trying out new destinations, most would agree that nowhere compares to China. I'm Kalitha Crawford, publisher of Sourcing Journal, and I'm joined today by Ron Serini, principal at the Serini Samet and Associates Law Firm, and Jonathan Gold, Vice President for Supply Chain and Customs Policy for the National Retail Federation, to discuss what the industry needs to know in order to chart the way forward. Thank you guys for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. Good to be here. So, John, we'll start with you. Listen, at the end of the day, like I said, you know, nowhere is going to stack up against China's efficiency, productivity, and access to raw materials. But um, I know some companies are choosing to stay put, at least for some of those, their goods. What are you hearing from your members, and how are they making those sourcing decisions? Thanks, Khalifa. I think you know it really is a a wide ranging response that that retailers have had to the tariff situation. Obviously, it really depends upon the retailer themselves, what their exposure is, the size of the retail, and their ability to, to shift sourcing. You know, obviously, diversification of your supply chain is nothing new. I think a lot of companies have been looking to speed up that diversification now because of the tariffs. But you can't simply pick up and move everything. I think companies are being very strategic as they're looking at their supply chains, looking at their product mix, and trying to determine where best to go. Uh, to bring those products, as companies are exploring other options in Southeast Asia, um, you know there there are a bunch of issues that companies are running into. Whether it's capacity, available skill set, infrastructure, you know CSR requirements, uh, you know there are a lot of challenges. It's not as easy as just saying I want to move here tomorrow. Um, you know I think we all know the challenges that companies face. Uh, companies are trying to move, but you know there are some products where that skill set just isn't anywhere else. Um, you know, the market in China is so strong, as you noted, on the efficiency uh, and, and everything else. So it, it's a challenge. But I think companies continue to look to see whether or not they're able to, to move. But, you know, again, you can't move everything out of China. There's, as we've heard from one of our members as we were talking, there is no new China. Um, so you're going to have to have some product that remains, unfortunately. And Ron, you know, there's been a lot of back and forth, especially recently, um, giving some false hope about a potential end to the tariff situation. What's your gut telling you, you know, even if things were to to resolve themselves tomorrow, what's the likely uh, situation that we're going to find ourselves in going forward? Yeah, I think the problems between the United States and China are deeper and wider than people appreciate. So while I do think we could get a reprieve, there could be a deal on Phase one, which might delay, for example, the imposition of tariffs on 4B, which is where most apparel is. 
I don't think it's going to last for a long period of time. We have, you know, the situation in Hong Kong, we have some national security issues, Huawei and other matters that I think it's for the long term. And I, we certainly encourage our clients to diversify. I don't, by the way, know of one single company that's staying put in China. There are certainly companies that need to keep some production in China in certain circumstances. But we've been urging diversification beyond China for, for quite some time, even before the 301 tariffs were imposed. Um, so, you know, I think some people may hope that if President Trump is not reelected, the tariffs will go away. I tend to think not. I actually think that a Democratic president will probably be even tougher on China in the trade field now that President Trump has started down the path of 301s, which you know had been used in the past, but rarely. So um, you know, our message is continue to diversify where you can. There's a lot of ways to do that, um, but don't expect the tariffs are going away anytime soon. I think, you know, the companies that are diversifying and speeding up their diversification, I'm sure they're hoping that wherever they land, they can really put down roots and they don't have to do this again anytime soon. But John, uh, do you really think that there is such a thing as tariff-proof sourcing today? You know, how, do, how can companies go about finding the next best place to be? And, you know, could the U.S. pull the same thing with another country that's happening with China? Yeah, I, I think it's extremely unclear at this point. I think that is one of the issues that continues with the uncertainty as companies are continuing to look for alternate sources. You know, the president has said previously, you know, Vietnam is great and companies are all shifting to Vietnam, but he's also talked about the trade deficit increasing with Vietnam. So does that mean Vietnam is on the, you know, has a target on its back for some kind of tariff action in the future? You know, we've got other programs that companies are using to diversify, whether it's the GSP program or MTB, but then we're going after countries that are participants in those programs. So I don't know that you can fully, you know, tariff, you know, keep your supply chain free of tariffs, but you've got to take your best educated guess in going forwards and trying to figure out what makes the most sense for you. Uh, you know, unfortunately, the the trade policy this administration is pursuing is making it very difficult for companies as they're looking to source on a global basis. Um, you know, unfortunately, not everything can come back here to the U.S. There's very little that that can. But as companies are looking around the globe, they're trying to figure out what makes the most sense and how do they mitigate the risk as best as possible. And one of the risks that are arising uh, uh, from all of this it has to do with the rules of origin and companies not maybe understanding what those rules are and how it could affect them. Um, Ron, how could they potentially be tripped up in this way? Sure. Before I address that, again, what, I, what we're advising um, is companies, and I know it's easier said than done, have a multi-country sourcing strategy because for, for a variety of reasons, you know, there could be another 301 initiated against another country, um, but there can also be a national a natural disaster. So, you know, I think certainly in apparel and footwear, um, companies need to think about at least a five-country strategy where they can move production around where necessary. I mean, there's already discussion in Washington, Washington, as you probably know, about the growing trade deficit with Vietnam. A lot of that's resulting from companies moving production out of China to Vietnam. But the trade deficit with, with Vietnam is, has already surpassed in just data is available through September. The trade deficit is larger already in 2019 than it was in 2018. So um, I think it's important to have multi-country sourcing for a variety of reasons. Um, 
you know, to answer your question, yeah, I mean, there are things we have found. Um, you will find companies are not always quite clear on what the rules of origin are. You know, what do you need to do to uh, uh, reach country of origin if you want to move some of your supply chain out of, of China? I think it's worth going through an analysis of that. It's a very product-specific analysis. Um, people are surprised often on various textile products. We've had clients, for example, that didn't realize they thought they were going to hit uh, be hit by um, tariffs on a particular product um, because they were selling the product in China. But as it turned out, country of origin was actually where the fabric was made. Um, so, you know, they, they in that case, they had good news. But it's really important to make sure you understand the rules of origin. You know, a lot of supply chains in apparel and footwear are almost entirely in China. And what you need to determine is how much of that manufacturing can you move out of China? How much can you keep in China and still legally meet a country of origin change? As you might expect, obviously, CBP and the administration is focusing on illegal transshipments. They, they seem to think, and they probably are right, that there's been an increase in misdeclaration of country of origin. But understanding those rules, which can be very complex, is extremely important to do. Right. And uh, I, I had someone tell me recently um, that they know of people who are just desperate to get their goods and, you know, all kinds of things are happening and including, you know, stuffing suitcases full of goods and, and, and bringing them back because people are either confused or, you know, shocked by the tariffs or whatever it's happening. So there's a lot of confusion around that. Yeah. And a lot more company uh, people are trying are using de minimis, um, which is, you know, it allows, um, Shipments come into the United States from outside the U.S. up to $800 per day duty free. Um, and that's really grown. That is getting the intention of the administration. And I know they're doing a pretty comprehensive review um, of the situation because at least the way today CBP is implementing de minimis or what's known as 321, the 301 duties are not charged on de minimis shipments coming directly from overseas. So. You know, even companies employing that, it's it's obviously de minimis is a legal option to use. Um, we think it's a little unfair that you can't sh ship out of U.S. warehouses and declare de minimis. Um, and we're working to change that. But if you come directly from offshore, um, you know, again, the, the, we've heard that some people are playing games with that. Um, and Customs is really beefing up their resources at the encouragement of the administration to, to start policing that. Hey, Khalifa, if I can go back to real quick, just on the, the rules of origin question, you know, I think it's incredibly important that folks are aware of, of what's happening on rules of origin. You know, obviously they were already complex um, before today, but as we have this administration looking to rewrite, you know, free trade agreements, as we saw with the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, you know, they're, they're changing the rules of origin and making it, you know, a little bit more complex. So companies need to be very aware of what's happening and what the new rules of the road are going to be, because I think it's going to extend beyond just the USMCA when Congress finally passes that. But as you know, the administration looks at other potential free trade agreements, either to rewrite or to start new trade agreements, um, folks have to pay attention very closely to what those rules of origin are. And, you know, as we're talking about moving, there are certain company countries that come up all the time, Vietnam, Bangladesh as a go-to. But, you know, is it realistic, John, to think that people are going to be able to just go all to these countries? 
you know, is the capacity there? And what are some of the other infrastructure questions that they should be asking about before they make that move? Sure. I mean, I certainly don't think the capacity is there for any one country, even a number of countries to, to soak up what, you know, China currently has. I think, you know, as you were talking earlier, certainly, you know, as you look at Vietnam, you know, the, the numbers have exploded in Vietnam. and Whether or not they're getting to the, that capacity limit is is a question. Um, I think, as you know, you mentioned Viet, uh, Bangladesh. You know, Bangladesh has had a number of issues over the years, and I think uh, certainly is a a challenge. And you know, as both the you know the the worker safety issues in Bangladesh are continue to be a problem, um, and I think companies want to avoid what we see in the past there. So there are a lot of issues that companies need to take a, a really hard long look at their supply chains and what's happening in country to make a determination whether or not they're going to move. Um, you know, it's not as easy as just opening up a phone book, finding a vendor and just saying, hey, I want you to start making for me tomorrow. There's a pretty rigorous process that companies go through to, you know, audit new vendors to make sure they're meeting all their the requirements. You know, are they who are they are who they say they are? Can they meet the quantity and quality that you need? Um, is the skill set there? Do they meet all your CSR requirements? I mean, this is all all a very lengthy process. and It just can't happen overnight. It takes months, if not years, to really fully redevelop your supply chain. Right. And you have the infrastructure of the country itself. You know, how easy is it to get the goods in and out? You know, what, what type of government are you dealing with? Are the roads, do you have roads that are, you know, take you to and from the port? How's the rail system? Do the other, you know, the ports, are they deep enough to handle the larger container ships? What's the sailing schedule coming out of those ports? So there are a lot of these other infrastructure questions that are are critical. Um, do you have, you know, running water, electricity, all the basics that, you know, we kind of take for granted? Uh, but are they all there and in, in a steady state that you can use, uh, you know, on kind of a nonstop basis? Right. And so we're kind of highlighting the reasons why some companies might be thinking about staying in China, at least for the categories where they can. Um, but Ron, you mentioned de minimis as being one area that offers some relief. What about miscellaneous tariff bill? Um, what do people need to understand about that? Well, the miscellaneous tariff bill is a great opportunity to reduce the normal duties. You know, some of the people getting affected, not in apparel and textiles so much, but some of the people getting affected in, with the 301 tariffs are in zero tariff categories. But for goods that have relatively high um, normal duty rates like apparel and footwear, a ski jacket can be as high as 32 percent, a hiking boot as high as 37 and a half percent, using the miscellaneous tariff bill to suspend duties for three years or reduce duties is a great tool. Our clients have used it with great success. Um, in both footwear and apparel. But the thing to keep in mind there is the window is only open every three years. So companies interested in doing that need to file or work with someone to file a request by December 10th. So that's coming you know, very, very quickly. We're a little over two weeks away from that deadline. Once that deadline passes, um, there won't be an opportunity to use the miscellaneous tariff bill until 2022. And John, another thing that has kind of gotten some press recently is first sale. It's not new, but people have been talking about it as a way to try to mitigate things. Can you tell us a little bit about how that works? Um, to be honest, I haven't looked at first sale in a while. I hate <laughs> to say that. Okay. Um, it's not something that I've heard from my members that they've been been looking at uh, as part of their diversification, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, Khalifa, I can just mention there, you know, clearly there are a lot of companies now looking at first sale. Some have done that off and on 
you know, if you're in apparel and textile, again, with high normal duty rates, it's really the first time now, though, that companies that import low duty rate products are looking at first sale. And so basically, it's where you have a multi-tiered structure. You may be using an agent, for example, and you're buying a product out of one country, buying it through an agent, and then you're you're the importer of record. So there's three parties, unrelated parties to that transaction. Um, you can structure it if done properly, and you got to be very careful that you structure it properly because CBP looks at this very carefully, but you can structure it so that you are paying duty only on the first sale from the manufacturer to the agent, and you then you don't need to pay duty on the costs that are incurred between the agent and the importer. So it's a very successful tool. Um, it doesn't get rid of the duties. It might reduce, you know, a a, a 20% of the duty rate you're paying on the normal duty rate or 20% you're paying on the 301 duty. Um, but yes, it can be a very effective tool. You have to be prepared though to disclose a lot of financial uh, information and some companies are just not prepared to do that. What about something like tariff engineering? How much can that kind of help buffer or insulate you from the hi- the price hikes that are coming along with the tariffs? Well, you know, tariff engineering, again, John's members and and the people we work with, you know, members of like Outdoor Industry Association, American Apparel and Footwear Association are very adept at that just because they already face really high duties. So um, it's a talent to be able to engineer your product in a way you can can meet what the consumer wants, but get into a lower duty rate category. There are some companies that are just superb at doing that. Um and some simply don't have the in-house capabilities to do it. But yes, it's a very effective way. Um, but that generally will only mitigate the normal duty rates. If you're doing pure tariff engineering, but not changing the country of origin, still keeping it in China, that's not going to lower the amount of 301 uh, tariffs that you're paying. And John, do you have other suggestions on ways that companies can be looking at their practices or, or where they're producing and help them through this period? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a variety of options that companies were taking a look at. Obviously, you know, the, the continuing look for alternate sourcing is probably top of mind. But as companies were trying to get product in prior to the tariff increases, you know, there's one uh, avenue that companies were exploring, but that comes with its own challenges and costs as well. Um, you know, I think there's ongoing concern of, you know, if we don't get this phase one deal done, uh, do we end up in some kind of situation where we have further tariff escalation? And then what does that mean? Does that then, you know, push up even quicker trying to get product in before additional tariff increases potentially take effect? Um, you know, I think there's trade has kind of turned has been turned on its head because of what's going on with this trade war. And again, it's it's not just isolated on China, but there are other countries you need to take a look at and and try and figure out what makes the most sense and you know who potential you know targets could be in the future. So there's unfortunately there's no easy solution for companies to take a look at. And you know it also depends upon you know the size of your company too. I think some companies are you know have a little bit more flexibility than others. Obviously, larger retailers you know are having more flexibility than smaller guys do. So uh, it really kind of depends upon you know what you know who you are and how you're able to conduct your business. Right. And I'm sure those larger retailers, their relationships are that much better with their with the facilities where they have been producing. So some of those owners in China also own some of the facilities elsewhere. I'm sure that helps them move also. 
So, John, how would you characterize the effect that this uncertainty has had on your members over the last year? I think the uncertainty has certainly made planning uh, extremely complicated, uh, extremely difficult. I think as companies are looking to plan, you know, six, nine, 12 months ahead, it has had an impact on all those decisions and has, has really forced companies to take a look uh, again at their supply chains and reevaluate and uh, try and figure out what they're doing and again, how to get the right product to the customer uh, you know, as quickly as they can and try and mitigate as much as possible. Um, you know, companies have been spending a lot of time refocusing on supply chains where you know, they hadn't originally planned on doing that. So they've got to refocus their entire business to a degree uh, to figure out how do they meet that, that consumer expectation, that consumer need. Uh, if you can't rely on you know, one market as a, as a major you know, exporter. Um, so it's, it's been challenging. It's kind of turned things upside down and on their head. Uh, and companies are spending a lot of time on trying to figure out how to mitigate the risk as opposed to how do they further expand uh, improve their businesses. And as they are looking at the impact that they're going to feel from the tariffs, what is this showing about some of the relationships in the industry, meaning between a brand and its supplier or between a brand and its retailer? Is there a willingness to kind of share this impact or is everyone kind of pushing, pushing it down to the next guy? I think it really depends upon the relationships. Obviously, the stronger the relationship, the, the, the better position you're in to kind of share some of those costs. Um, I think, you know, retailers are willing to work with their brands on, on any and all of this. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it's a challenge and certainly has, you know, put a strain on some relationships. Uh, but it's, it's something that everybody needs to work together in, in that partnership to try and, and figure out the best path forwards that, uh, that works for everybody. Because I think the last thing, you know, folks want to do is, um, you know, increase costs more than need to happen on any one individual. I think the last thing, you know, retailers want to do is increase the cost on the ultimate consumer, but it's something they're trying to figure out because there might need to be some of that, unfortunately, to deal with these increased costs. Please, I was just going to add, you know, this, the, the problem, the challenge is particularly hard on smaller companies. And that's, that's really unfortunate because if you look, for example, at the outdoor space, you have smaller companies like Nemo or Big Agnes or XL Outdoors, they're very innovative, but they don't have huge volumes. And so it's really hard for them to move production because when you're looking, you're shopping, where else should we go outside of China? The smaller companies that are innovating don't have the volumes that maybe some of John's bigger members would have. You know, Target and Walmart can have enormous volumes. Um, and so it's easier for them to move. The smaller companies are the ones that find it harder. Um, to move their production, or at least it will take them longer. And, you know, they just don't have as the, the leverage that bigger companies have. Right. And I think if you look at retail overall, I mean, 95% of retail is small business. So it's, you know, having a pretty big impact on, on businesses of all size. But as Ron noted, you know, small retailers especially are, uh, are feeling the, the burden um, because of this. Yeah, that small, small ski shop, for example, you know, in a ski resort, they have it pretty tough. So is there anything that the industry should be doing as a whole? Um, I think, John, you mentioned the fact that, you know, other countries could fall into a similar situation as China. Um, is, there, is there lobbying that should be done? Should they be contacting their congressmen? What can be done to kind of head off some of these problems going forward, potentially? 
Yeah, I mean, I think obviously talking to to your member of Congress is is critical. Members of Congress need to fully understand what's at stake uh, with this this ongoing trade war and the tariffs. They need to understand that no, it's not China who's paying the tariffs, but it's the U.S. business who's paying it. And unfortunately, having to pass those costs along to through their ultimate consumer. Um, and it's not just about the price increase, but it's about the business itself. You know, the the inability to for businesses to invest in their business to expand to hire um, because of these increased costs of the tariffs. I think it's incredibly important that members of Congress and the administration fully understand what's happening as a result of this trade war. So uh, contact a member of Congress, write an op-ed, talk to the press. I think it's, again, important that the stories be told about the impact that the tariffs are having uh, on, on the economy and especially on small businesses that folks might not think about. You know, and clearly it's hard to lobby on something that hasn't been initiated yet. So, I mean, it sounds right. It's good to alert Congress to the impact of trade on, on, on their constituents' business. But what's important, I also think, is when companies go into other foreign countries to have a dialogue with those governments to determine what are those governments' policies. Are they likely to be targeted by the U.S.? And if they are, would that government engage in a constructive discussion with the U.S. Look, look at Indonesia, for example. Uh, you know, a lot of people in the travel goods industry, um, backpacks and things like that. The U.S. initiated a review, um, and I think my, my belief is Indonesia is going to avert any problems like India has seen where they have had their GSP revoked because they have been open-minded and forthcoming um, in terms of discussing, you know, talking with the U.S. government. So the other thing I'd urge is for companies not to forget this hemisphere, particularly in apparel. Footwear and travel goods, it's a little harder. You know, companies are looking at looking at suppliers that used to be relatively big in apparel but haven't been in recent years like Philippines and Sri Lanka. But, you know, the supply, the, the Haiti DR, Dominican Republic supply chain or CAFTA DR, certainly there's challenges in doing business in a country like Haiti, but there are also great opportunities. So I do believe companies to need to look just beyond South Asia and Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Countries need to recognize this as a potential opportunity for them, and they need to position themselves to be good partners with U.S. companies that are wanting to produce there. Right. Khalif, if I can add one thing, too, I think, you know, aside from kind of tariff situation, I think it's important for, for U.S. companies to talk about trade in a positive way and really talk about the benefits of trade, not just for the consumer, but the number of U.S. jobs that are related to trade and especially U.S. imports that folks might not think about. So, you know, if the small companies can talk about we have this many jobs because of our trade with foreign countries, we think that's incredibly important to tell that story because that's not the story that gets told a lot. And I think folks need to understand the value of trade, the value of the global value chain that we're living in today. So you might not think of a certain job, whether it's in IT, sourcing, logistics, finance, um, that has to do with trade, but it does. So tell the story of those jobs that are reliant upon trade with our, our you know, foreign countries. Right. Does us no good if our retailers go out of business. That's right. Okay. John and Ron, I appreciate you joining us today. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I'm sure this conversation will continue as this all unfolds. So we will look forward to speaking with you again. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Galitha. Thank you. Thank you.